0: Hi, I'm Pastor Dallas Billington, Senior Pastor here at City Church, and we want to welcome you today to our services. We hope that no matter what you're facing in life, that through the message today, through God's Word, He will truly encourage your heart. Hey, we're glad you're with us this morning, and
1: uh, there's no better way to start off the week than to be in the church together and worship the Lord and to... Uh, dig into his scriptures and find out what he has in store for us. So we're glad you're with us here this morning. If you would, open up your Bibles this morning to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. We're going we're gonna to spend a, a decent amount of time, probably go through, if time permits, the whole chapter today, just a little bit to give you guys... Just some insight, I know that this might be a familiar chapter to a lot of you. There are some verses in here that are literally, they're just kind of embedded into my life. They are verses that... I think about their verses that I quote, they are verses that uh, God uses in my life. And I hope that maybe some of these verses are that way for you. And if not, maybe after today, the Lord will allow you to see this a little deeper and he will bless you uh, from his living word. So let's pray this morning. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity that's set aside to worship you. God, just to pause, just to recognize, Lord, that you are the living water. And in a world where people are surrounded by so many things, so many distractions, so many things to try to fill the void that exists in our lives today. And they can drink all they want of that. They'll never be satisfied until they come To the living water of Jesus Christ, and they find you as their Savior. And Lord, for many of us from time to time who struggle to stay uh, close to you in our relationship and our sins and our lifestyle, our thoughts, um, our faith weakens, and we quench your spirit, God, renew that today. Fill us up, and we pray you bless this time today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, Isaiah 55, looking at verse one. There's uh, in the New King James. There's a word that's only used one other time in the Bible in Malachi, and it starts out verse 55, and it says, "Ho, <laughs> everyone who thirst, come to the waters." And so that that explanation. This is uh, this is just a great invitation to an abundant life. This is, this is an invitation written 700 years before Jesus was born that leads you to his amazing grace and his mercy. So there's excitement on it. There's some enthusiasm. It's, hey, come, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. An invitation to an abundant life. An invitation to Jesus, to his grace and mercy. There's a story that I recently read a little bit about, and it's, uh, there's a book recently written about it. And so, if we go back in time, and we go back to the pre-World War II time, and over in Europe and Poland, the Nazi Germans and Hitler had begun to gather up the Jews. And they began to put them in sections of a city. And when they put them in the sections of the city, they would basically gate them off. And they would close them into these areas, and they were referred to as the ghettos. And they would put them in there, and they basically became prisoners They were ripped from their homes, and they had to stay within this ghetto. And as the war moved on, and as the evil of that day, and the evil of Hitler, and the whole Nazi regime regime began to grow, it went from just being closed into an area to where they begin a tragedy that's still hard to understand today and they would begin to take people out by trains and if you didn't if you didn't have a, a skill set if you weren't a carpenter if you couldn't build something if you weren't a doctor if you didn't have something that would benefit the German war party they saw no value in your life and they began to kill the Jews by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, and by the hundreds of thousands. So at this time, things were ramping up towards that. And this family somehow stayed together, a mother, a father, and two young daughters. And they stayed together at this time when things were getting really ugly. And out of a million Jews in that part of Europe, that ended up going to internment camps um, and the majority of these people lost their lives in horrific, unimaginable ways. There was about 25,000, so percentage-wise, it wasn't very much, who were able to escape into the woods. And so this family, escaped into the woods, and it was the summertime of, I think, 1942, and summer's not so bad. You can survive in the woods with some minimal skills, but in this part of the world, winters were a travesty. Temperatures would get to be at times minus 20 below zero, and these people had to try to survive, and in their survival, in their fight for their lives to just try to stay alive, what would happen would be other people, maybe people that were even once their neighbors who weren't Jewish, who would find these camps and then go report them to the Nazis. So every day, every day became a struggle to survive. And this family of four somehow was one of the miraculous families that was able to get out of the ghettos and escape just as things really were starting to get ugly. But right before that happened, a young man named Philip, who was 11 years old, was with his family. And during these moments of terror of pure evil that's unimaginable. He was ripped apart from his family and his family was taken away and he was by himself. And unfortunately, what would happen is if the Germans didn't get you at that point, if the Nazis didn't take you away, if they saw children without parents later, then they would round them up and take them too. An evil that's uncomprehendable. Well, little Philip's family was taken away. And here's an 11-year-old boy, and he's all by himself. He's all by himself. And he doesn't have any hope. He doesn't have any peace. And he's fighting just to get through the day. And so he notices that the Nazi soldiers are coming in, and they're beginning to select and drag people away. And he looks over and he sees a mom standing there with two young daughters. He says, I looked up and he saw, he said, in the midst of terror, he goes, I saw a friendly, warm, loving face of a mother. And Philip went up and he looked at the mom and he said, Would you pretend to be my mom? Would you pretend to be my mom? And she looked down and she looked at her two daughters and she said, well, if the Nazis choose to let me live with my two children, then they'll certainly let me live with three. So when the Nazis came around in a moment when he would have been pulled away and probably taken off by train, And I want you to picture this for a moment. The come in the beginning of Isaiah 55 is a excited plea to come to life, life everlasting, to escape this life on earth and the difficulties that we face and to escape, most importantly, Our soul being in hell—that's what this is called. This is that's why there's such excitement. So, picture if we have God's view for a moment, and you're above all that's happening in the ghetto, and you see little Philip, and you see a family who's loving, and you you see the soldiers coming. And if you said it, you wouldn't just quietly go, "Oh, I hope hope they kind of hope he comes over there to them." If you could, if it was safe, and you had a voice, and you were able to speak it, you'd go, "Come." Come here to this family and stand with them and be a part of the family so that you might live." So the heat of the moment broke up and Philip left this family and he went his own way. Years go by and uh, do you guys wanna know what happened to Philip? I'll tell you later. Okay. All right. So if you would keep a finger in Isaiah 55 and turn to the book of John. John chapter 4. And this is the beauty of God's living, holy word. In Isaiah, we just read, come to the waters if you're thirsty. And it doesn't cost anything. And at face value, it just seems like just a really strange comment. So this brings us to the time when Jesus was with his disciples and they had left him to go into town to get some food and supplies. And it was, uh, we're going to pick the story up here at verse five. So he, being Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. I kind of picture just a long, hard walk. (laughs) It's probably a hot day. And he sat down by the well, and he's wearied by his journey. And it said, as he sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink.'" For his disciples had gone away from the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, ask a drink for me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst now, come here to draw. And if you would, we're going to skip ahead to um, verses 25 and 26. And so, for time's sake, what takes place there is Jesus begins to talk to her about her life a little bit and says, you know, where is your husband? And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he goes, well, you're being honest with me. He goes, you've had five husbands and you're living with someone now. And she is amazed that he knows so much about her that it would be impossible for a stranger to know. And when we look at uh, verses 25 and 26, it says, the woman, the woman then said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And here's a woman whose life is obviously a mess. She's tried to fill her life up with everything that the world has to offer. She's been through multiple relationships. They've failed. The hurt that takes place in that is incomprehensible to happen over and over. And she's broken, but yet, The Samaritan woman is aware that the Messiah is coming. And she starts to see that Jesus knows things that nobody else should know. And then she's like, the Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am, it's me. And so the woman leaves and she runs into town. If you can turn back to Isaiah chapter 55 now. And uh, she begins to tell everybody, this man told me things that nobody would ever know. And then people began to come out to hear Jesus. And I love the part that it says later in John. It says, at first, we believed because of all the things that you said and told us the story of how Jesus knew all these things about you. But then once we heard him, Then we believed, and then we believed. All right, Isaiah, let's continue on here. Verse 3 says, incline your ear and come to me and hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to my people, a leader and commander for the people. There's so much significance in David, not only through the Old Testament when he became a king, but throughout the entire Bible. And here's the beauty of what Jesus is, what the Bible's saying here. And it's, it's like, listen to what I'm saying. Incline your ear, listen to me, come to me, And you're going to find everlasting life. You're going to find an everlasting covenant. When we get married and we stand before the Lord, we make a covenant with the Lord that we are going to do our best. (laughs) We're going to make a promise that we're going to try to make our relationship work as long as we shall live. We know that is not an easy thing to do because we are talking about two human beings, broken people and we all have issues, and we all got problems, and sometimes sin gets in there, and it even makes it more difficult, and it gets it more complicated. But Jesus made a covenant with David. One thing I want you to remember today is everything that God promises you, everything in his word will always come true. Even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, sometimes you just got to stay in the room and you just got to trust and know that God's going to bring a breakthrough. You just got to hang in there. And so God made a covenant with David and he said, through you I am going to make an eternal kingdom that will last forever. I promise that's what I'm going to do through you. And the beauty about what took place with David is David was the youngest of, forgive me, but I think eight sons. He was the smaller one at that point. He was a shepherd boy. The rest of the family was more established. I'm sure there were some warriors within it. And so God chose David. And he made him the greatest king that Israel ever had and it says here it says indeed I have given him as a witness to the people sometimes when God does amazing things through us I was talking to someone yesterday and they said that I I was reminded I just sometimes even when it's things for God I got to be humble about it because it's not me and I was like that's just a great point The greatness that God did through David, a shepherd boy who became an almighty king because he had a heart for the Lord, was a testimony of God's power. It was a testimony of what God does and how he looks at things up here and he sees things that we can't always see. So let's read on. Verse 5 says, Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And we're talking about, you know, Israel, God's chosen people. And the beauty of God's living word is this made sense. It applied to the Jews at this time. It applies to our lives today. And uh, speaking 700 years before Jesus came, it says and nations um, who do not know you, they're going to run to you. And we see that the new church after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and it was birthed and Peter opened up the church for all nations and the Gentiles Got a chance to fully, truly come to the Lord without reservation. All nations. Again, talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ back here in Isaiah. Verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon you know, one of the struggles that often takes place in life in a battle for our soul is sometimes people go, I'm, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. And they'll put it off that moment where they say, I'm going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, it, and even here it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because we never know what day the Lord calls it and says our time is up and our life here on earth is over and you keep waiting. Or we don't know the day of the Lord when the sky opens and he comes back to get all of us who have called him as our savior and you've been left behind. And then God reminds us there's no sin there's nothing that you've ever done or will do or can do that will separate you from his love. His pardon is full. His grace is amazing. Verse 8. This is a verse that I quote and think of all the time. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor Are your ways my ways, says the the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Sometimes we can't see the full story, and we don't understand what's going on. You know, Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than most people. He went through times where he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked more than once. He was always threatened for his life. And in the midst of those moments, imagine standing before an angry crowd and as the stones are coming, humanly speaking, Paul had to go, is this part of your plan for my life? Is this how it's supposed to go? And, and we can apply that to anything. Lord, is, is this part of your plan that, I'm, that I've got this sickness? Is it part of your plan that my relationship is falling apart? Is it part of your plan that I have so much anxiety that I don't know how to focus? And God says, you just got to keep coming to me. You got to keep coming to the living waters and you got to abide with me and we'll get through it because I see a bigger picture. Real quickly, um, verses 10. 11, 12, and 13. Let's read through these. For as the rain comes down in the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word never returns void. It's living, and every promise is true. I can say a lot of things, and they may, not, they may not hold true. They may not always happen. They may not impact people's lives, but God's word never returns void. For you shall go, and this is a promise that when we go to the living water, for you shall go out with joy, and you will be led out with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth in the singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name. Again, when great things happen, it's for us to reflect back the glory of the Lord Jesus, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Turn to uh, the last chapter of the Bible, if you would. Revelations chapter 22. So let me take you back to Philip's story. So, Philip's 11 years old, and years later, he somehow makes it as a legal immigrant and enters the United States. And he's at a wedding ceremony in 1954, I believe, in Brooklyn, New York and he's sitting at the wedding and he begins to talk to another Jewish girl. And she asked him where he was from and he named the small town in Poland that he was from. And she goes, oh, she goes, I've heard of that town before. She goes, some friends of mine once saved a boy from the ghettos. And he goes, oh, he goes, "Uh, can you tell me more about that? So she describes the story in detail. And he looked at her and he said, I'm I'm the boy. I'm the boy. Just think of the moment when the Samaritan woman, whose life is broken, and she says there's a Messiah coming and he's going to answer everything and he's going to change the world. And Jesus looks and says, I am, I am he. That moment when Philip and that young lady heard that that was him. He got the number for the family, he left the wedding, he called that family, and they reunited. And it gets really cool from there. The two girls are grown up. Ruth is a beautiful young teenage girl. And uh, Philip begins to call on Ruth. And after two years, they fall madly in love. And he ends up marrying Ruth. And then God makes such an impact on Philip's life that Philip feels a calling to become a rabbi. And he becomes a Jewish priest so that he can share the truths of God's word with many other Jewish people. Could they see God's plan Throughout that, years of tragedy where they were fighting for their life, when they were in the forest trying to stay warm enough on certain nights that they didn't freeze to death, when they were fighting to find just enough food to sustain their life, were they probably like Paul going, is this this, this the plan you have for me, Lord? But God, his ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes when things don't make sense, he's got a much greater plan. Praise team, come up. I'm going to have you guys, we'll will treat one more, two more verses together while the praise team comes up. Revelation 22, 16 and 17. So we went to Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, we saw Jesus talk of the same thing and now we're looking at the last chapter of God's word. This is again the words of Jesus in verse 16. He said, I have sent an angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is ending his words saying, I keep my promises. I keep my promises. And no matter what you face in life, and we know that many Jews, some of them who obviously had to have loved the Lord a great deal, they lost their lives tragically. But yet, in death, when we know Jesus is our Savior, it's different. And that death is swallowed up in victory because our destination is secured in heaven. Because Jesus made a covenant with us. Verse 17, and the spirit and the bride, the bride being the church, us followers of Christ and the Holy Spirit, say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Let's stand. God's ways are not my ways. They're not your ways because his are so far above our ways. And uh, I hope that as you think of Isaiah 55, you can see the abundant Life that God's inviting you to and that you can see his amazing grace unfolding in the pardon of our sin and a life everlasting. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, Lord, we're thankful for your promises. God, we're thankful that you never fail us. You never go back on your promises. Lord, we're thankful that even a thief on the cross was able just to simply look at you and say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for living water, is what had to go through his mind. As he laid there on the cross dying. And he, I'm thirsty for life everlasting. And Jesus said today. You shall be with me. In paradise. If you haven't accepted the Lord. If you haven't come to the waters. That will satisfy your soul. Don't wait. Until it might be too late. And don't miss out on God walking you through all the fires and the difficulties of this life that he never intended you to go through on your own. Come to the living water that you may never thirst again. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love. I pray that if there was someone listening today, That they would call out your name. And that they would take a drink of the water of life from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that their lives would never be the same. If there's someone here today who hasn't done that yet, call them today, Lord, just as you said, I am calling and have them come forward and change their lives forever. And if someone's here today and they've just been walking away from the Lord a little too much, they've been trying to fill up their lives to the things the world has to offer and they're quenched the spirit, may they come today too and we'll restore that relationship back with the Lord together. We pray these things and ask these things
0: together in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I hope Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has spoke to you today through his word. You know, no matter what you go through, no matter what you face in life, I want you to know that through the one, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross of Calvary, he shed his perfect blood for you and for me. And if you pray right now and ask Jesus into your heart, the message that you heard today, why God is speaking to you, I want you to know that you can have hope. And all you have to do is pray with me right now. Don't try and figure it out. The Lord says, by faith, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and you'll have hope for eternity. You say, Dallas, will you help me? What do I have to do? Well, let me share with you a verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life if you're willing to believe that God sent his son to die on the cross for you, just pray this prayer with me right now. And you can have heaven as your home. Jesus will forgive you for anything you've done in this life. And you can have hope from this day forward. Pray this prayer, dear Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I believe that you're God's son and you came and lived a perfect life And you died on the cross and you shed your perfect blood for all of my sin. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to forgive me for all of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And from this day forward, help me to live by your resurrection power. In Jesus' name.